Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 985. This is the 12th and final chapter of this segment of the Tanya. That the Rebbe explains the unity of all of creation, that all of creation is nullified before God, and its very existence and its very essence is nothing other than the divine utterances with which God creates the entire universe. And the utterances are made up of words, are made up of letters, and each and every object in this very pluralistic universe that we live in, with a multitude and millions and all different variations and times and types of existence, every single one of them has a name, has a Hebrew name, which is a different combination of the Hebrew letters. And um, all of them are basically uh, different variations of the divine energy that creates and brings everything into existence. So its very being, its very entity, its very content is really nothing other than the letters and determined by the different arrangements of the letters, like the building blocks of creation, the divine energy. And he said earlier that the utterances, the words of God, although... They are, so to speak, external. Just like within a human being, words are external in comparison to your emotion, which is basically your, your, your personality, your character. And, and words merely convey and communicate uh, those emotions and concretize those emotions. But nevertheless, they are your words. They're your words. It's you. The words, the letters are you. Like he explained earlier, that the letters at the end of the previous chapter, that words and letters come from a very deep place within within your soul, and that explains why you can have two people explaining the same concept. Concept is exactly the same. Two plus two is four. But you can have two mathematicians explaining this concept, and each one will explain it in his own words. You have two writers writing about the same idea. And yet each one will come up with entirely different words to describe. So words come from a much deeper place than even intellect. Words are rooted in the very essence of the soul. And that's why your unique individuality is expressed in the words, the type of words you use, how you express yourself. Every writer, their signature, and their flavor. Conceptually, it's the exact same concept. Or describing the exact same human experience. But the way this writer describes that experience, and the way this writer describes that experience, comes from a very deep place. Although it's just words and letters, which appear superficially, apparently they're just inert and external and superficial and just the vehicle of communication. Words have no personality, words have no character, but the truth is no. Words have a lot of, words are very reflective of the person and the individuality because words come from a very deep place. So words are rooted within, within the soul. And the source of words is not just the wind and the larynx and the, and the lips and the mouth. The source of words are actually in the soul, which explains why children understand the concept and yet they cannot speak, because words have come from, a, come from the soul. It's not like music. Music, you just blow, oh, you, you blow ear and then you consciously manipulate the instrument to create sounds. Speaking is not like that. Speech is not like that. Everyone knows from their own personal experience. Speech is, there's nothing conscious about speech. You don't have to consciously move your lips and your mouth and have your uh, tongue touch the roof of your mouth to create the different letters and the, different, the five different family of letters. You want to speak, you know what you want to say, and you just and the mouth just speaks. You have no idea even what happens, how the mouth is speaking, how the mouth is moving. Because when you have the in your mind, you have in mind what you want to say, these words are formulated in your soul and 
the mouth automatically formulates these very sounds. So speech is rooted in the soul. So to God's speech is rooted within God, and they're absolutely unified with God, and therefore God's speech has the power to create, and even the power to create intellect. They are the source. The God's words creates man, and Adam, and all the angelic, all the angels, and all the higher level of consciousness, all are created through the Hebrew letters and the Hebrew words, God's speech. So God's speech is called speech only in relation to the higher levels within the Godhead, within the world of emanation, in comparison to, the, to God's emotion, so to speak. Just like within the human being, the words are superficial in comparison to the emotions that are just describing those emotions. But the truth is that the, these words are also come from within you. They're your words. And they are very personal and very individual. So words are rooted within the soul. So too, even the words of God and the communication of God and the, my mother's the speech of God is really, it's God. It's inseparable from God. And, and, and therefore it's infinite. It has the power to create. So that's why these words, these Hebrew letters, these Hebrew letters and these combinations and these words actually create each individual object, each individual entity. So therefore they are unified within God. Now although you have almost an infinite variety of species. Within each species itself, you have so much variety and so many variations. And there's such a pluralism, there's such a diversity of entities that exist within the universe. And each and every one of them has their own letter, their own name, their own Hebrew name that creates it and sustains it and brings it into existence and has its own unique flavor, its own unique individuality, its own unique characteristic. As he said earlier, even those that are rooted within the same, the same uh, divine expression, for example, that all come from the attribute of kindness, but they're different entities that reflect the idea of kindness, from water to light, two different entities with their own properties. They all come from the same source, but each one has a different variation. Each one, has a, each one is a unique entity. And you have a multiplicity of this. You have almost an infinite variety of species and, and, and uh, different variations. And within each group itself, you have subgroups and subtexts. And it's, it's, it's beyond belief. The more we study, the more we know the variety. You know, you just go into some museums, you see the gems, and you start looking at all different types of gems and different colors and variations. It's just mind-boggling, the variety. And each and every one has its own unique energy, its own unique divine name that creates it. Everyone has a name, Yalom, or all the different words, Hebrew words, that, have, that, that describe and that create. This is the energy that which God creates, all these unique entities. So how is it possible that from one, absolutely one God, we can have such a variety, such a, such a huge variety, almost an infinite variety of entities, if they all come from one source. So in this chapter, the Altarebi clarifies this. He says, if you think about it, really, all of the entities of the universe all come from just 22 letters. Yes, we have almost an infinite variety, but it all comes from just 22 letters. Because just like within the soul, you have 22 letters rooted within the soul. Different sounds, different uh, variations, combinations. So too, yeah, all you have is 22 letters. And this 22 letters, from this 22 letters, we get all the different various combinations and, and, and different entities. Because firstly, the letters themselves. Each letter, I forget the exact mathematics, how many words you can get from 22 letters. It's off the charts. Mm-hmm. Like Hasidus explained, just to give an example, take the name Elohim. Bereshit bara Elohim. Elohim is five letters. Each letter, the combinations, is, is determined by the beginning of the letter, the very first letter of the word. If you start with Aleph, then the Aleph colors the whole word. Aleph is already three letters. Oh, that's another way of counting. It was just right. There's so many variations. Aleph is a yud and a vav and another yud. That's aleph, and also also the way you pronounce the aleph. If you pronounce the aleph, you already have aleph lamet fei. 
It's called the miloy, the fulfillment. And then the lamid has lamid memdalid. So there's many hidden things. And then there's numerical value of every letter. And then there's substitute letters. But so just based on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, you have infinite combinations. And all of those combinations create the whole known universe. But for example, Elohim, without getting into just Aleph, Lamakim. So those combinations, so each letter has 24 combinations. It's starting with the Aleph. Each letter has 24 combinations. Then you have the Lamed, starting with the Lamed, followed by the other four letters. You have 24 combinations. And then the Lamed is predominant, because the Lamed is the first letter. Every letter that's closer to the first is more dominant versus the end. Now, Elohim is made up of like two words, Ela and Yam, or Mi. Ela, something you point your finger, these. It's clear, it's clear. Ela, I'm pointing my finger, specific. Yam is the water, the sea, it's covered up. It's fuzzy, it's vague. I don't know what's going on underwater. I don't see it. Or me, me is what? So it's vague. So in other words, the combinations that come from the first three letters um, are clear. The 72 combinations, they're clear. The combinations that come from the last two letters, Yud-Mem, which is, which is 48, they are unclear. And that's the source of all the klipa. All the impurities in the world and all the negativity in the world come from the last two letters of the name Elohim. And that's what the Torah calls Cham, Bnei Cham, the sons of Cham, which were the, which were the Egyptians, which enslaved the Jewish people, which was the, uh, the antithesis of holiness, the clash between holiness and darkness. Cham is Memches, numerical value of, of, of 48. That Cham comes from the darkness, from the last two letters of Elohim, they create the world of, of negativity and all the darkness negativity. Klippa, the world of Klippa comes from there. Spiritual world of Klippa comes from there. So you see how every letter in the Hebrew alphabet, every name, there's no language in the world like Hebrew. Hebrew is a holy language. God creates the world of the Hebrew language. Every combination and every letter has meaning besides the shape of the letter and the, the pronunciation of the letter and the numerical value of the letter. And then there's a substitute alphabet. Every alphabet has a substitute alphabet. Because Aleph switches just one of many. For example, Aleph switches with Tuf. The first and the letter are interchangeable. And Atpas, like a code, a secret code. So there are many different codes and many different substitutes. So from all these 22 letters, and from the 10 sentences which God creates the world, if you utilize all of these combinations, all these different ways of calculating words and letters, you get a, a, a name, a Hebrew name, for every object in this world. Every object in this world has a Hebrew name. Otherwise, it couldn't exist. Because so that Hebrew name is... is that's, with that Hebrew name, that reflects... The name reflects on this unique divine energy that's uniquely matched to create and to sustain this unique entity with its own unique flavor and its own unique properties and characteristics, etc. So yes, it's 22 letters. But all of them are rooted... Yes, they have like an infinite variety of reality, but all of them are rooted in 22 letters. And the 22 letters are rooted ultimately in the soul, which is filled with letters, beyond, before the letters are actually formed. They are there in potential. The soul has a potential to speak. See, even before you form words, before you even consciously form or think about words or letters, the letters are there. But there, when they're there, they're unified within your soul. So all there is is one entity, your soul. And your soul doesn't yet have all these letters, but these letters are all there. And then you speak these letters, and you articulate it, when you consciously think, and you articulate it in words, and letters, and thought, and then in speech. And then you get all the different combinations and variations of words and letters and expressions. So if you think about it, if you narrow it down, it's, yes, it's, it's almost an infinite variety. It's dazzling. The variety is dazzling. Within each category itself, you have subcategories, you have so many different <laughs> variations. But nevertheless, ultimately, it's all rooted in, in one source. It's not so far apart. The whole world is rooted in 22 letters. 22 letters. Just like there are 10 spherot, there are 10 basic building blocks with which God <coughs> creates all of the world. Even the letters with which God communicates and He actually creates all of, cre all of creation, brings everything into, into existence, 
it's 22 levels. And then these are further differentiated and, and, and defined. So this is the clarification that the Rebbe gives in this chapter, explaining, highlighting and emphasizing once again the unity of all things. That ultimately everything comes from the same substance. Everything ultimately is really godly and godliness. You know, it's almost like when you get, when you go into the atom, you know, you look at the world superficially, it's a very highly differentiated. As you go deeper and deeper, the scientist is looking for that unity. When you get to the chemical level, you see underlying patterns, you see connections that you don't see on the surface. When you get into the atomic level, everything is made up of atoms. You see a much stronger connection. Now, everything is really all one and connected. When you get into the atom itself, what, what, what is the atom made of? So you, you get, the deeper you get, ultimately you come closer and closer to unity. But ultimately it's, it's, it's all energy. It's all the same source. It's the same source that variates itself into the table, into the chair, into you and I, into all, all the different entities. But ultimately it's all, it's all one. It's all connected. The deeper you go, the more clear, the clearer it becomes, the more you reveal godliness, the more you discover the unity of all things. The further you get away from God, when you get to Yam or Mi, or the last two letters of Elohim, you get Klippa, the shell, the cover-up. And over there, you get rigidity, where every entity is ego, every entity is separate, every entity is independent, and is not connected to anything else, or to anyone else, not connected to above, not connected to anyone else. That's Klippa. But the, the more the more undercover you go, the more you reveal the inside, which is what a bracha is all about. That's why a Jew, has, you have to make a bracha in speech. You have to speak the bracha. Because you have to reveal, just like God created the world with speech, God communicated. So you also have to speak, and you have to communicate, and you have to reveal, through speech, you have to reveal godliness. You have to consciously reveal the truth, that really everything is godly, everything is really all connected. Because everything ultimately is really nothing other than divine energy. The modern physicist understands this. The modern physicists understand what, what, what is reality, really. Reality is, appears to be very solid and rigid and stable. And, but the truth is, nothing can be further than the truth. It's dynamic. It's vibrant. It's energy. All it is is energy. It's atoms. And the deeper you get into the atom, you can't find anything. 99.9% empty. It's a swirling energy <coughs> that gives us this appearance of solidity and rigidity and separate entities. But the truth is, we can't see the atom. But matter is really energy. It's not what it appears to be. So what is this really? It's not what it appears to be. When you take a, when you take a piece of wood, a tree, and you burn a tree to the ground, what is the tree? What, what are you left with? You're left with ashes. So really, that's really the essence of the tree. <laughs> that's what you're left with. It's, it's, but you get this whole, when the tree is a tree, this ashes, you get this whole tree with all its properties. And, but it's really, the, the essence is not, it's not what it appears to be. It's just this energy that puts it all together. This energy that creates this, this tree and this vibrant, lush tree and this, but it's really, it's really the energy. It's not, it's not the... So matter is really energy. It's not what you see. And, and that's, that's why the, the human intellect, the human intellect, not, not like the first temple when people instinctively were godly. People instinctively understood this and felt this and connected with this truth. But in our days, beginning with the times of the second temple, especially in our day and age, the human intellect is totally, you know, we, 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 uh, we don't see godliness. We see, we take this for real. This is reality. The physical is reality. Materialism is reality. My ego is real. And godliness, spirituality, and holiness, and that's something that's, it's otherworldly to us. And that's why we need a blessing to remind us, to constantly remind us, and to educate ourselves, to constantly remind us, pointers, to remember remember what we know deep down but to remember the reality the reality is that the what we see is almost uh, it's almost a facade it's, a, it's it's 
it's not, it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's not what it appears to be. What's really going on is something entirely different. What's really going on is that creation is ongoing. At every moment, the divine energy, every single physical entity has a Hebrew name, has a divine energy, a specific divine energy. God speaks and communicates. And God spoke the ten maimaros, the ten speech, in, written in the Torah, with which God creates the whole universe. And those ten utterances, those ten sentences, and those Hebrew letters, through the various combinations and numerical values and substitutions and, 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 and the, the fillers of the letters and all of that further differentiates until each entity has its own Hebrew name and its own Hebrew unique energy which reflects a unique combination of energy that creates this unique entity. So everything is really the divine energy. God's speech. And God's speech and, and God are one and inseparable. So it's really the infinite. Everything is really nothing other than the divine energy, the infinite godly energy that's creating everything every moment. If the eye were able to see, if we were able to see the truth, the reality, how the divine energy is creating this table as we speak, it's creating the flower as we speak, and this cup of water as we speak, and creating you and I and everything around us as we speak, then we wouldn't even notice the physicality. All we would notice is godliness, because that, that's, the only, that's the only reality. There's a new science that is, that is basing itself on part of the concept that you yeah, intelligence. It's like, you know, what you see is not really what is kind of a concept to the science. Well, you have to be very careful with that because uh, well, I, we're, I very, that we're very clear that uh, Judaism is very clear that this world is not an illusion. The reason, it's not a maya, as the Eastern mystics claim, it's not an illusion. God created this world intentionally so. It's not that we're just all uh, being suckered into some... Uh, um, but that God intentionally created us with this vision of reality. And if you bang your head against the table, it will hurt. It's not an illusion. It reminds me of the story of the third, third Lubavitcher Rebbe. One of his Hasidim came to him for the holiday. And the Rebbe was giving a Hasidic discourse. And what was the theme of the Hasidic discourse? That there's no other reality but God. At the end of the holiday, every chassid was going, traveling back to his home. Before he traveled back, his friend said, you know, I haven't seen you since last year. Last year I lent you a few thousand dollars. I would like a few thousand rubles. I would like that money back. His friend looks at him and says, haven't you spent the last few days with the Rebbe? Didn't you hear? There's no other reality but God. Nothing is real. Everything is godliness. There's no, I don't exist, and you don't exist, and money doesn't exist. His friend looks at him, you know, he sees the guy is for real. He runs to the Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, help me, what am I going to do with this guy? The Rebbe says, no problem, just tell him, give him a message. That if he doesn't come up with nothing, he claims everything is nothing. I am nothing and you are nothing and the money is nothing. If he doesn't come up with a nothing very quickly, like in today, we're going to take the nothing, lie him down on the nothing, and beat him with a few nothings, and we'll see how quickly he'll come up with the nothing. <laughs> You know, it's very, it's very nice to say nothing, I have no responsibilities, and you don't exist, so I don't have to pay you, and I can insult you, and I can steal from you. Because nothing exists. There's no responsibility. That's not, that's not, that's not what the Torah says. That's nihilism. That's escapism. That's, that's not, that has nothing to do with Yiddishkeit. But Yiddishkeit is that we have to know there are two perspectives. That's, those are the two perspectives that the Tanya discusses. The higher perspective, what we call Yehudei law the higher level of unity, and then this Yehudah Torah, our level, our perspective, the lower perspective. From God's perspective, nothing exists. Nothing is real. Everything is godly. There's nothing else. What is, what is matter? Matter is the divine energy. Nothing else. It's God's speech. And what's God's speech? God's speech communicating God's emotions, God's ten spherot, and God's mind, and God's heart, and God's emotions. Every day has a, has a different emotion. And God and His emotions are one. God and His mind are one. And God and His, and his speech are one. So therefore, everything is really infinite, everything is absolute, infinite, inseparable from God. So what, what changed? Nothing, everything is really God. Nothing, there's nothing other, other than God. That's from God's point of view. And that, that's a genuine point of view. But on the other hand, God also created our point of view. It's also genuine, because God desired that point of view. He wanted us to see the world this way, that money is money, and, and people are people, and the table is a table, and, and this physical reality as we see it, because God wants us to make a bracha. God wants us to reveal the truth. 
we should be, the Jew is charged, we are, our mission is, we are the undercover reporters, uh, the undercover detectives to reveal the truth, to live in this world, drink water, but to make a brach, to recognize and to consciously express and reveal that this cup of water, God is creating this cup of water, and that this cup of water is nothing other than the divine energy, and that the miracle that this cup of water can nourish and sustain me. And when a Jew does business, a Jew remembers that who is giving me the money and who is giving me my success and who is giving me everything, God is giving me everything. And therefore I have time to put on tefillin and I have time to study Torah and I have time to, and I make sure to give tzedakah because Hashem is giving me the success. It's not me. And on and on. So this is how a Jew permeates every part of his life integrates, internalizes every part of his life, this awareness, this revelation, revealing, integrating to your life how the truth is that everything is really godly. But doing it in the way, living your daily life, incorporating it into your daily life, not going off on some mountaintop and escaping, but living your daily life as a Jew, realizing, recognizing God as you go about your daily life, because there's no other reality than God. So it permeates every part of you, every aspect of our life every part of our mundane, ordinary life. So this is God's intention. So He intentionally wants us to have that perspective. So that, that's, that's also a genuine perspective. And, um, and the ideal is to marry these two perspectives. That the Jew should understand to the best of your ability. Truly reflect and meditate and understand. And this is what this part of Tanya is dedicated to. The introduction and the 12 chapters. We're about to learn the 12th chapter is dedicated to really understanding this, taking it to heart, internalizing it, integrating it. The reality that there's no other reality other than God. There's no other existence other than God. Nothing really exists other than God. Everything is really godly. Everything is really infinite. Everything is really Hashem. And as counterintuitive as it is, because we sense the solidity of our existence, our egos, so hard, difficult for us to imagine that there is no I. All there is is godliness. All there is is Hashem. And nothing else exists but God, and that includes me. <laughs> it's easy to say nothing else exists but God. But that means I don't either exist. That really my whole existence is nothing other than godly. And that means I have to live a godly life. Because if nothing exists but God, then my whole existence is really godliness. Then that is my true nature. That is my true core. That is my essence. So everything in my life, every detail in my life, every aspect of my life must reflect that truth. Otherwise it's a lie. Otherwise it's a clipper. It's a distortion. It's a superficial shell. Artificial shell. It's blacking and covering up in the truth. Because how can anything be in conflict with that reality? The reality is that I am nothing other than the infinite, than, 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 than the part of godliness. And therefore every, every aspect of my life, not 99.9%, 100%, has to reflect that reality and that truth. And that's what we call the Torah. The Torah is the infinite. The infinite light of Hashem is the Torah. Because the Torah, unlike religion or mysticism, the Torah permeates every aspect of existence. There isn't a single aspect of existence that's not covered by the Torah. The Torah touches every aspect of life from the moment you're born, even before you conceive, till the last breath and even after. There isn't a single aspect in our lives from commerce to relationship to marriage to home to business to anything, relaxation, that's not covered by the Torah. Because if the truth is there's no other reality but God, and if every, everything that exists has a unique divine energy, in other words, God doesn't just speak in general and everything comes into existence. God speaks specifically because the ten utterances through the different variations of the letters combinations, everything ultimately has its own name, its own unique, um, unique combination of letters. So God speaks specifically and brings every specific aspect of creation in, into existence with all its unique characteristics. And every one of us, every one of us, our own unique individuality will have a different name. And all of existence, all of creation, all of the entities in creation, everything has its own name. So if our entire existence is nothing other than the divine energy, God's speech, which is absolutely one and unified with God Himself. Therefore, there's nothing other than God. Our whole being, our whole essence, our whole existence is really 
the divine energy. Page 985, second paragraph from the bottom. Although, although there are only 22 letters, they are able to create a vast multitude of creatures. For creatures are divided into categories, both general, whether human or animal, and particular, the animal world in turn compromises numerous species of beasts, birds, fish, etc. And even within each one itself, within each category itself, you have so many variations. Okay. This multitudinous division comes about by changes in the combination, substitutions, and transpositions of the letters, as was explained above. When the letters are combined in one way, one kind of creature is created. A different combination gives rise to a different kind of creature. For as explained in chapter 1, certain letters may sometimes be substituted or transposed with others. Those creatures whose names are not mentioned in the ten utterances derive their vitality by means of the combinations, substitutions and transpositions of the letters that do appear in the ten utterances. Right. The ten utterances are pretty limited. You know, the sentences which God creates the whole universe are ten and each one of them, God says, there should be light. Uh, you know, and the, so God says the earth should give forth, uh, should sprout. But within these ten utterances, there are different combinations and variations and numerical values. And uh, each letter has a filler. And there's so many different alphabets. Each letter creates, has so much variety, that if from 22 you can get, you know, we don't even know the number, it's so Ooh. huge. Uh, the amount of combinations you can get, multiply that by the hundreds and thousands of different variations, that explains how you get each, because how each unique entity ends up with its unique divine energy, its unique letters and its unique name and its unique combination of letters and words that create this unique entity, the bird, the fish, and within the bird itself, itself, all the different species of birds, within each family of birds, each one of them comes from a different variation of the Hebrew letter. Because everything has to have a source. Everything that exists in this world has to have a source. Nothing just exists. Everything has a source. And that source is the divine energy, the Hebrew letters, God's speech, which are ultimately even rooted beyond speech, because speech just conveys and communicates what's your emotion. So it really originates in the divine emotion. So everything ultimately has a root and has a source. But the, the, more, the deeper you get into the root and to the source, the more unified it is. It's when it leaves the source that it becomes more and more differentiated. It's like in the mind of a teacher. In the mind of a teacher, the concept is crystal clear. The whole concept is one word. And he understands the whole concept. When the teacher has to try to communicate that concept to a student, suddenly you get a whole Megillah. And then, and then it's not enough. Then you have to further differentiate it and further divide it. And, you know, for the teacher or for his colleagues, his peers, he can communicate the whole book in, in one sentence. And they get the whole book. For lesser people, you have to take that book and you have to divide it into chapters and you have to divide it into, into paragraphs, into sentences, into words. Into, to, to encompass this one single concept, you have, to, you, have to, you have to... And the lower you go, the further you want to reach the more differentiated that it has to be. Just like within a person. When you think something, you think, what takes you a minute to think will take you five minutes to speak. Because thought is much more compressed. It's much more unified. So the deeper you get, the more unified it is. Just like within, within physics, we described earlier, the surface world is much more differentiated. You get into the chemical level, it's a little more unified. You get into the atomic level, it's, it's much more unified. Within the atomic, the subatomic level, the deeper you go, Ultimately, you come to a much, much, much deeper unity. But the further you go out from the source, to, to take the same concept, you have to differentiate it even more to be able to carry the same concept. So you take these ten divine utterances, they are like a general, a general concept. So you have the Mishnah. The Mishnah is very succinct. Then you can have 15 pages of Talmud just explaining one paragraph. One Mishnah has 15 pages of explanation. And then how many hundreds of pages you have in those 15 pages of Talmud trying to explain the Talmud. So, so you have a general, just like, just like a Ten Commandments. That's how God created the, That's how God gave us the Torah. Because God creates the world through the Torah. So the Torah is also the same way. The entire Torah, all 630 mitzvot are all 
within the Ten Commandments. There's 620 letters in the Ten Commandments, 630 mitzvahs, and the seven rabbinic mitzvahs. Every mitzvah has a letter. There's a book written, now every mitzvah has a letter. But then all these, the, the Ten Commandments are included in the First Commandment. The First Commandment is included in the very first word, letter, word, anoichi. And the very first word is, connect, is all included in the first letter, the aleph of the anoichi. And the written Torah is all connected, is all, is, is all the entire oral Torah is all hinted in the written Torah. But, but what, so it's all there in the word, in the letter Aleph. It's all there. The Aleph of Anoichi, everything is included. But when you start articulating it into sentences, you get the Ten Commandments. And then you start articulating further, you get the five books of Moses. And then you start articulating further, and you get the oral Torah, and you get the Mishnah, and you get the Talmud. Until until the Torah is this huge Torah, libraries and libraries and millions and millions of books that we have today. But it's all there in the Aleph. And God creates the world through the Torah. Because within Hashem, it's all one source. Everything comes from God. So there's only one source. Everything ultimately is rooted in the one, in the unity, in the infinite, in the Orient Sof. Only God has the power to create. Everything is God. There's nothing else. But then you start differentiating, you start getting into the Godhead, into the world of emanation, God's ten spirot. And then the ten spirot are communicated and conveyed through the 22 letters, communication. But then these 22 letters create all different forms of combination. Okay, continue. 986, second paragraph. For every letter is a flow from an individual particular life force and power. Note of the rabbi Shlita, since the letters are separate from each other, what combines them and how is this accomplished? The Alter Rebbe goes on to answer this by saying, and when many letters, example many particular powers and life forces, are combined to form a word, then in addition to the numerous kinds of powers and life forces which issue forth according to the number of letters in the word, there is, in addition, transcending all the particular powers the flow of a higher power and general life force which contains and is equivalent to all the various individual powers and life forces of the letters and transcends them all. Every letter has its own, its own energy, its own reflects, its own unique energy, has its own shape, has its own meaning, its own force. But when you add all the letters together, it's not just a combination of many forces of various forces. In addition to that, you end up with something new. Different. Different. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. Just like letters. Every letter could have a meaning. It's only when you put, let's say the letter Aleph, Mem, Saf. Aleph has a meaning, it has a shape, it has a story. Mem has a meaning, it has a story. Saf has a meaning. This is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet. When you put it all together, I have a new word, a new meaning. Truth, MS, a new content. So the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. Not that it negates Aleph has its meaning and Mem has its meaning and Tav has its meaning. But when you put it individually, when you put the three together, you don't only have a combination of three different meanings. You have an entirely new meaning. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, which is the concept of what a minion is all about. What is the concept of a minion? When you get ten Jews together, it's not just a combination of ten Jews. When you get ten Jews together, you have a new dynamic entity. A multiplication of their... It's, no, it's more than just a multiplication. It's not just an addition. Okay, one, now we have force in numbers, we have ten. When you have ten Jews together, you have a new concept, a community. A whole new entity. A dynamic, vibrant entity. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. That's what he says. It transcends all the particular powers. It's not just one plus one plus one plus one, and I have the strength of 10. No, it's, it's entirely different. When you put letters together and you end up with a word, you have an entirely new meaning. And the same as when you take words and you make a sentence, you have an entirely new meaning. You make a paragraph. So the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. So in addition to each letter having its own particular flavor and meaning and reflecting its own unique energy, when you put the letters together in a certain way and you combine them in a certain way, you end up with a word, you end up with a new, a new meaning, a new vibrant and dynamic. I think I have an example for that. The word yad in Hebrew, hand, number 14. Yad and another yad, two hands. Yadid, friends, 
and 14 plus 14, 28. Koach, power. Just, just an example of what you can do with this. The combinations are infinite with the 22. Yeah, this is just an example. Also, also you have, you have 14, uh, 14 uh, knuckles in your hand. And that's why you say, <laughs> my grandfather, you say, what do you say, Shalom? In, in the blessing of the Kohanim, you have 15 words. I ran out of words, so shalom. <laughs> but everything in Hebrew has a, has a, has a meaning. Okay, the flow of a... The flow of a higher power and general life force, which contains and is equivalent to all the... Excuse me, all the various individual powers and life forces of the letters and transcends them all. It unites them and combines them in order to grant power and so life. So it's two things. Firstly, he unites them. The Hebrew unites is like a chaver, like a friend. He draws them close together. And then he says, combines them, it becomes like one. It's not just that they work together. You have two forces working together, interacting with each other and working together, but they actually become become like one. They become like inseparable. It's like when you have a, a system, a dynamic system, a holistic system, the individual parts are not just two parts. They are part of one, one reality. They interrelate, interconnect, and they really just become part of a greater reality. Like the minion example. Just like the minion example. Just like the human body, the human organism. The human organism is not just a combination of 248 limbs and different powers and abilities to see and to hear and all the different abilities that comprise man, but it's one dynamic entity. And all the, all the different forces are just interrelated and interconnected. So much so, if your toenail hurts, your brain can't think. Sometimes you let blood from the, th you give an injection in the foot and it heals the head because it's all connected. It's all interrelated, interconnected. So it's not just that the different forces, the individual letters, are chaveirim, they become friends and they work together, but more so, they become, they become in, in, inseparable. They become absolutely, they become one, unified, like a right hand and a left hand. They're inseparable. They become one. And that's, uh, that's the concept we find, the two concepts of love your fellow Jew like yourself and the unity of all Jews. It's two different concepts. Love your fellow Jew like yourself means we're all chavedim, we're all friends, we're close to each other. I respect you, I don't do to you what I don't, I don't want to be done to myself, and the way I like to be treated, and the way I like to be spoken of, that's the way I speak of other Jews, and I treat them, and I think of them highly, just like I like to be thinking of highly, etc. That's friendship, that's closeness. But then there's a much deeper concept. Achatus Yisrael, unity of Jews. Unity of Jews is we realize it's not... I am a friend. But he is I and I am him. We're inseparable. It's the right hand and the left hand. Maybe he's my left hand, but he's my left hand. When was the last time you saw a right hand slap the left hand? You, you spilled this water, you caused me this damaged whack. Who's he, who are you beating? Who are you hitting exactly? Hitting yourself. That's how the Talmud explains. The Torah says a Jew should not take revenge. You're not allowed to take revenge. One of the 613 mitzvot is you're not allowed to take revenge. And number two, even if you don't take revenge, you're not allowed to bear a grudge. For example, if you ask someone to lend you something, and the guy says, no, I hate you, I'm not going to lend you, and he's mean and stingy. When he comes to you, A, you're not allowed to take revenge and say, hey, you didn't lend to me, I'm not going to lend to you. B, even if you do lend to him, you're not allowed to bear a grudge, say, I'm going to lend to you, not like you, you didn't lend to me, you lousy good for nothing, but I, I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going to lend you. You're not allowed to do that. So Thomas says, how is it possible? How can you not be angry at a person who mistreats you that way? The Talmud uses this analogy. It's the right hand and the left hand. So the right hand is going to beat up the left hand. We're inseparable. Jews are inseparable. It doesn't matter if you're right wing or left wing. There's no politics. All these political divisions are artificial and superficial and ridiculous and absurd, and they are our destruction. Jews are one. We're absolutely one. We're united and connected. We're one. Not just we're chaveirim we're to each other. We're friendly and we like each other. And, but it's tziruf. It's one. Because Why? Because we're all part of a greater whole. We're part of the Jewish community. Kalal Yisrael. We're all part of a dynamic, vibrant entity. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. We're all part of something much larger than all of us put together. We're part of the Jewish eternity. The Jewish entity that began with Avram and Sarah 
and continues through Mashiach until the end of time. We're all part of that dynamic whole. And therefore, it's not different points, right, left, brain, heart, liver. It's all a, a dynamic system where all the parts are all interrelated and interconnected. They're all really one and the same. It's the same reality expressing itself in the liver and the heart and the right arm and the left. It's the same reality. So it's the same Jew. It's one soul expressing itself in 14 million bodies. Not that 14 million Jews. It's one Jew. It's the same Jew. Expressing itself in 14 million beautiful ways. Everyone adding their unique flavor, their unique touch, the same truth and the same reality. That's the way a Jew has to look at each other. The Rebbe would always say, there's Avas Yisrael, love your fellow Jew, but more importantly, there's Achtas Yisrael, the unity of Jews. Those are the two expressions he uses here that, like in the letters, in the Minyan, there's bringing them close together, they're right next to each other in proximity, one letter close to the other. But then there is where the letters become one. Okay, continue. Who does God think we are, God? What, what do you mean? That, that we, he expects that, that from us. don't have revenge or you don't have... <laughs> One of the six Or you don't hold... Uh, that, that would there's be really as God. That's not... Uh, well, there's no other reality but God. So. <laughs> it's for real. It's not a human... It doesn't even sound like a human possibility. I know that a psychic can, can think like that. But, but, but if our very substance is godly, you're right. But if the Torah tells us, if the truth is that our very substance is godly, you're right. If you think about it, the Torah is demanding so much. To live up to the Torah seems to be superhuman. Is this a Torah for real people? Could anyone really live up to That's this Torah? Men, right? so but, we are, right? but the truth is, the very, our very substance is godly. That's our true nature. Deep down, nothing else will make us happy. We can go searching from guru to guru. Nothing will make a Jew happy. A Jew cannot be happy until he, finds, until he comes home. Because we are godly. And until we live a life of Torah and mitzvot, we deep down will not be satisfied. We'll continue to be restless. Because that's our nature. Our substance is godly. You're right. If that was not the truth, it would be impossible, like ridiculous. I mean, who can live up to this Torah? Is this a Torah given to angels? Or is this a Torah given to yeah, real people? Yeah. <laughs> but the truth is that we are godly. The Torah is telling us God is looking us into the eye and he says, this is the real you. But I created you different than that. This is the real you, but I made you different. Only superficially. It's up to you to reveal and uncover the real you. Through effort, through effort, through effort, through freedom of choice, it's up to you to reveal the real truth. I created a facade, a little lie, a distortion. It appears to be egotistical and the world appears to be crude and the world appears to be a very dark and banal place but the truth is it's up to you to reveal the truth that really everything is godly and the only way to reveal it is through your effort through your sincerity through your tears through your sweat through your goodwill through your mitzvah through your good deeds through positive thought through positive speech it's up to you you're my partner you're going to help me reveal, reveal the godliness within everything. So we are Hashem's partners. Well, everybody around you is going in the other direction. That's, that's part of the test. That's part, that's part of the facade. The facade is so strong. The concealment is so prominent that it, it, it's, it's like a bubble. There's nothing there. It's an illusion. There's nothing there. Especially at this point in history. Especially at this point in history this point in history, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing, there's no, there's no reality. It's, so, it's such a facade. It's such a mirage. There's no reality. It's making a lot of noise, but there's nothing there. There's nobody home. It's empty. It's finished. It's all over. So Hashem says, have the wisdom. And if we had to start from scratch is one thing. But we're 3,800 years after Avraham Avinu. We're 3,300 years after Mount Sinai. We're 300 years after the Baal Shem Tov. We had over 50 years of the Rebbe. We have. So, after Hasidism. And so, we have, we have enough ammunition, we have enough strength, we have enough experience to look through this. This is, this is there's, not, nobody, there's nothing here. There's no resistance. There's nothing here. It's empty. There's nothing there. The, at least, there used to be a pretense. There's alternative, there's wisdom, there's intellectualism, there's ideology. 
Today there's no pretense anymore. Ideology is dead. What pre- there's no pretense. There's nobody home. There's nothing there. All there is is crudeness and, and, and egotism and money and power and fame. Yes. And principles don't mean anything and truth doesn't mean anything and beauty doesn't mean anything and honesty doesn't mean anything integrity doesn't mean anything. So what does that mean? So what does that mean? That means that it's all over. That the facade, there's nothing left. It's about to crumble. The lie is crumbled. All it needs is to you to give a little blow and the whole thing, the whole, the whole pack of cards, the whole card, the whole house of lies will just collapse. So we had the threat. We won. This is what the Lubavitcher Rebbe said. Open your eyes. We basically won. Judaism won. 3,800 years of struggle, of sacrifice. Goodness and godliness have totally triumphed. Yes, maybe superficially it doesn't appear that way and we see a lot of setbacks. <laughs> we see a lot, of, a lot of nonsense going on. But the truth is that it's all over. And it's up to us. If we are strong, if we have the strength, if we have the strength and we have the wisdom, then, then you just have to be strong. And you say, boo. <laughs> and you'll see the emperor has no clothes, there's nobody home, there's nobody there. And you know what? They're waiting. The world is waiting for the Jew to say boo because that's all the goyim from Madonna on. They're all, they're all, they're all rushing to Jews. They all, they all want to learn Torah. They all want to learn Kabbalah. They all want to learn the truth because they know there's nothing there. There's nothing else. So the truth is, it's, we're here already. So you just have to open the eyes. Instead of taking reality at face value and superficial and saying, oh, so many setbacks, so, so much darkness, everything seems to be rolling backwards. Don't buy it for a second. It's just the opposite. We are, we are at the verge of success. We are at the verge. We won, basically. Pronounce it. Announce it. Act that way. And conquer the world with godliness, with goodness, with mitzvahs, with taira with good deeds, and then Mashiach will materialize in an instant. Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.